You're listening to the Boise Community Church Podcast. We desire to be a people who are following Jesus authentically and missionally. For more information, please visit boisecommunitychurch.org. Father God, we just come before you. And we ask that your spirit would speak to us. We ask that you would move in the hearts and lives of your people. And Lord, that the word that you desire to to speak into the hearts of your people would land on good and soft soil. And Lord, I also pray for myself, Lord, as I share that word, Lord, that I would be faithful in the delivering of that word, Lord, being led by your spirit in that same way. And so we just simply come to you, Lord, and we ask you to come, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to your church because we're listening and we love you. We want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. So before I dive all the way into Exodus, some of the things that is interesting that I was thinking about this week. So we, we have these things in our world. We have logos everywhere, right? I have logos on my shoes. You have logos on your phones. There's all these different areas that we see these logos, whether it's McDonald's or it's Nike or it's Apple, you know, or if you're like really awesome, you have North Face, you know, whatever it may be. Marketing agencies, they spend a ton of money creating these these logos. And it's for two reasons. There's actually two reasons why they create these logos. First is actually for quality assurance. So you know what to expect when you see the logos, you know, the Starbucks logo stamped on your coffee cup. Because you can go to a Starbucks in Boise or in San Francisco or in Seattle and it's always gonna pretty much taste the same. I'm not a huge coffee snob, but the from the coffee snob's perspective, I always hear that it's just burnt coffee. But I don't really care because I think it's delicious. So I'm a burnt coffee fan apparently. Um, but I know if I go to any of these places, there's a familiarity. There's something I, I expect, and I, I go, oh man, I like this place. I'm going to go there. The second is brand awareness. And when you see that swoosh on your, on your shoes, or the apple with a bite out of it, and there's no name written on it, your brain automatically makes the connection, oh, that's an apple product. Those are Nike shoes. That's a dope Nike jacket. You make these connections in your brain. And the whole point of making this brand awareness, it's making a name for their company. And you're like, why on earth is this the starting point? Don't worry, just follow along, we're gonna get there. What's interesting is that in Jewish history and culture, a name was always more than just a name. So saying, hey, I'm Michael Newton, was not a sufficient way just to introduce myself. They, and it, honestly, in our culture, it still kind of carries a little bit. But what you would carry, it would carry your character, your personality. All of you was included in your name. It was, it was a very much a culture that really honed that idea of like the weight of your name and wanting to have a good name. And we do have some of that in our day. You know, like when you, those of you that have had children, when you're trying to pick out names, and you're going through all the different names, there's those names that your you know, spouse throws out, and they're like, hey, what about this name? Well, that's actually my ex-girlfriend. I don't really want to name my child that. Or, oh, that's my ex-boyfriend. Or that person was really mean to me in kindergarten. You know, we cancel people out or cancel names out because of 
our experiences with people that carried those names because the character did not match what we what we uh, or the character wasn't what we wanted. And so if you have your Bible and you've turned to Exodus 33, I'm going to show you. This is actually the section where God first introduces himself in all of Scripture. It takes all the way up to this point. This is where God introduces himself. There's people that always say who God is, but this is where God himself actually defines who he is and what he's like. And so this is God sharing his name with us. And this is in verse 18. It says, and then Moses said, now show me your glory. So Moses is saying, hey, show me who you are. And the Lord said, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. And I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Verse 21, then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. So that's Exodus 33, 18 through 23. So notice what, not what, what he says, but how he plans to reveal it. He tells Moses, hey, I want you to go and hide in this rock and cover your face, and I'm going to pass by, and then you're going to see who I am. You're going to see my back, essentially. In this passing by, this is how God chose to reveal himself to Moses, because he understood that Moses, his human frame, could not handle seeing God in all his glory. So then we go again to, if you have your Bible there, turn to chapter 34. We're almost out of Exodus. Starting in verse 5, we see how this moment plays out. Starting in verse 5, it says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He published, sorry, he punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So God passes by Moses and proclaims, I am the Lord. I am compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding. So I'm overflowing in love, overflowing in faithfulness. And I'm extending love to those that don't deserve it. I'm forgiving the wickedness that has been on the earth. And it also carries this idea that he has this heart for justice. Basically what God is saying at the end there is like, hey, people aren't just going to get away with things because I'm loving and forgiving. There will be justice that will, that will come. And so now... You can turn to Mark chapter 6 if you want to follow along. We're going to dive into our text this morning. But the thing that's important for us to carry is that God reveals himself to Moses by simply passing by him. And so I want you to hold on to that. Hold on to this idea that God reveals himself in the passing by. So Mark chapter 6 verse 45. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. When he dismissed the crowd after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. 
Verse 47, later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land and he saw the disciples straining at their oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. And so they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. It's pretty understandable. I'd be terrified too. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Verse 41, Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed. For they had not understood about the loaves, their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed in Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus, and they ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, to towns, or to countrysides, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. And so Jesus has just fed the 5,000. And immediately after that, he puts his disciples in a boat, and they head for Bethesda. In our text, it says that Jesus made them. It wasn't an option. So he's looking around. He's like, John, Matthew, Judas, Peter, get in the boat. I don't really care about what your feelings are in this moment. I'm not trying to, like, you know, hear what your plans are for the day. This is pretty much what every day of the week with my children during school feels like. It's like, you all have a lot of feelings and a lot of thoughts. Let's get in the car. we got to go. And so they're... Jesus tells him, hey, it's time. Get in the boat. And I just picture him kind of talking to him and being like, I know the last time you were in a boat with me, it was a little dicey. So this time I'm going to send you by yourself. So they set off for Bethesda and the disciples are on their way. They're rowing to the destination. They're crossing the Sea of Galilee, which is actually a lake, um, which is really fun. And Jesus does what he normally does. He actually doesn't go with the disciples. He goes and he's alone and he's you know, hikes up on this mountainside to pray by himself. And it gets to be late into the middle of the night. And once again, the disciples are found, they found themselves caught in another storm with lots of wind. And so these guys are out there and they're just rowing with everything they've got. It says that they're straining with the oars. So they're getting sore, they're getting tired. They've been doing this for hours. And if I'm these guys, I'm sit, I'd be sitting in the boat and I'd probably be like, Jesus, I'm not getting in any more of your boats. Like, every time I get in a boat with you, it, it goes very poorly. We almost drowned the last time. Now we're in here by ourselves. And this is like, this is terrible. And so it's late in the night. Dawn is about to come. They're tired. They've been rowing. They're fighting the wind. And Jesus sees them. He sees them while he's praying on the mountainside, and he sees them as they're struggling. And I think the important thing for us to remember in this story is remember why they're in the middle of this lake. None of them raised their hand and were like, hey, I really want to go over to that side of the lake. Jesus told them, he said, no, you're going to go to this place. You're going to Bethesda. And he's the one that made them go. And I think it's a powerful picture for us because it's, It's often that we think that if we go where Jesus tells us to go, we're going to be met with an easy road. 
Which if we look at scripture, that's really just wishful thinking. And there are, there's sometimes those moments in people's stories where God shows his kindness and allows the road to be smooth in the beginning and things just kind of flow and, you know, it's just easy. But I think if we're honest, most of the time when we do things for God or with God, we do feel this moment where it's like, man, this is really hard. This is not going the way I thought it would. Jesus, I thought if I followed you, you'd kind of make a few things line up. And like my heart and my desires feel really good, but, you know. And maybe there's some of you in this room that you're in one of those seasons. A season of challenge or a storm where there's this difficulty that you're facing. And it feels like you are rowing a boat against the wind. And if anything, it feels like the hard work that you're putting in is just keeping you in the same spot from not being pushed way far off course because it feels like you can't get things together. Understandably, that you know, the, when we live in those kind of moments and those kinds of seasons and we face those kinds of storms, it leads us to places where we're just, we're just tired. Which can take us to a place of exhaustion and discouragement and frustration and doubt. And I just want to speak to you this morning, church, and just say, if that's you, man, if you're feeling worn out, discouraged, exhausted, frustrated, you're tired. Know this, that Jesus sees you right where you're at. And today, right now, he's actually not much different than he was in, in our story in that moment. No, he's not sitting on you know, the foothills looking at us, trying to figure out life and, and going through these motions. But he's at the right hand of the Father, and it says that he's praying for us, that he cares for us. So he sees you, and he's praying for you. But the disciples, they just keep rowing. They don't know that Jesus is on the mountain. They don't have any idea that he sees them. They, as far as they know, they have no idea where Jesus is at at this point. And they just keep working. And part of it is for their own safety. Like, it's, it's a survival thing for them. But the thing that I think is important for us to see in this moment is that these are actually the moments where things like faithfulness is formed. When you are putting in the hard work, but you're not seeing the, the results. You feel the water and the wind whipping you in the face, and you're like going, and you realize like, man, we're going backwards. We're not going forwards. And in the back of our minds, you, you know those words where you, you're like, man, if, why did I even put the effort in at this point? Why don't I just stop and just let this, be, this kind of pass by and then I'll start over. But these men, they didn't. They continued forward even though they faced immense difficulty in an immense storm and they were struggling in this moment. And it's in this moment where faithfulness is built into these men. And for you and I, that's where it's built. Faithfulness is not built in us sitting in our kitchens or in our special chair that we have and reading our Bibles in the morning. Like, that's part of it. That's part of knowing Jesus and having a relationship with him. 
But a lot of faithfulness is built on the ground of living life. It's about walking and, and continuing forward even when it's hard. It's like that, that saying where they're like, courage isn't the absence of fear. It's the pressing forward even in the midst of fear. That's where courage is actually seen. So when I get on a ladder that's really tall, I'm showing immense courage. So for those of you that know me, I'm terrified of heights. So, <laughs> And so it's in this moment, the darkest part of the night, the disciples see someone or something walking on the water, and they're terrified. Which I don't feel like we can blame them. If I saw something walking on the water late at night, it doesn't matter what it was. Like I have these ponds near my house. If I was just going on a nightly walk and all of a sudden I see something cruising across the water, I'd be terrified too. Anything at night just doesn't feel, feel good. And so for those of you that were here when we did our first study in the book of Mark where they faced their first storm with Jesus, you know, Jesus is sleeping in the boat and the disciples come to him and they're like, the boat's about to, like it's sinking and Jesus is sleeping in the front of the boat. And the disciples are like, hey, wake up, don't you care? So in that story, where what we learned and what we talked about was we saw that how the Jews actually saw the Sea of Galilee, how they felt about the water and the ocean, essentially. And what for the, the sea for the Jews actually represented the absence of God. They believed that the sea was a place that God was completely void from because the sea represented, it, and it is, it was just chaos. There's no taming it. There's no controlling it. There's these beasts that are in it that they don't understand. And you've got to remember, the Jews were not a people that were naturally, they didn't grow up living among the, these lakes and these different areas. They were way inland people, but they were, had moved and been a transient people and eventually found their home in Israel where they had the Sea of Galilee. And so the sea was this place of chaos that was unable to be tamed. And so the people, the Jewish people, had this tremendous fear of it. And so the disciples in this moment, they're out there and they see something walking on the water and they're full of fear. Because in their minds, they're not going, oh, that's Jesus. Like, Jesus is a walking on the water. In their mind, they're like, this is a ghost. This is actually a demon. This could be Satan himself. And so remember, they're tired, they're exhausted, and now they're like freaked out. I feel so bad for these guys. And I, we know the story because we, you know, we can read it all in a matter of two minutes. And we really know that it's not a ghost. It's actually Jesus. And Jesus comes to them, and he comes to meet them where they're at. And so Jesus is casually walking along the waves, and it seems as if he's simply going to pass by them until they make a sound. But like I said, they're scared and they cried out in fear. So Jesus comes to the boat and he speaks to them. He's like, hey, hey, calm down. Don't be afraid. It's me. We're going to be okay. And he climbs in the boat and the winds die down. And the disciples once again are amazed. And here's the important part of this morning's text. Look at verse 52 if you have your Bible open still. For they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. This is why, I'm re why I read Exodus 33. Because Jesus was revealing himself to them. He was showing his disciples 
hey, you need to see who I really am. It was a picture for them. And I believe this is a picture for us to, to hold on to. And what I actually believe what Jesus was doing at this moment as he's walking on the water, I actually think he's being poetic. He's trying to inspire the minds to remember Exodus 33. The way that God had revealed to Moses by passing by, Jesus was simply doing the same way. It doesn't say that when Jesus is walking out on the water, he's headed straight for the boat. It actually looks more like he's passing by the boat to remind them of what happened with Moses. That Jesus is God, that he is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding and overflowing in love and faithfulness, extending love to the undeserving, forgiving the wickedness of people's choices and the wickedness of sin, that he has a heart for justice and wants to see the oppressed given freedom. It's here where Jesus is making the claim, hey guys, I am the greater Moses. Moses did miracles. That's what he's doing with Pharaoh, where he's, you know, his, a lot of his miracles are negative. You know, they're not like good miracles where he's like healing the sick and doing all these things like, hey, I'm going to fill your, your entire community with frogs. It's like, thanks, Moses. You're awesome. Here's a bunch of flies, you know. <laughs> the rivers turn to blood. That one's really crazy. So, but Moses does these miracles, right? He's not God. Moses fed the Israelites manna from heaven that came from God. He's not God. Moses brought the law of God to the people, but he is still not God. Jesus not only did miracles, but he brought freedom with them. Jesus wasn't just coming in and saying, hey, you're healed. Cool. All right. See you later. That was really weird. Jesus is coming in and he's saying, hey, you're healed. Go and sin no more. Hey, go and live into this new life. Jesus himself fed the 5,000 with this, these little boys' lunchbox. Jesus taught a new way to live, coming back to the true heart of the law that had been so far discarded because of just it being passed down through time. And misunderstanding what the real heart of God actually was. Jesus was passing by to show his disciples that he was the same one who passed by Moses. And so if you're in a storm this morning, or you're about to be in a storm, know this. Know that Jesus sees you, that Jesus prays for you, and that Jesus is coming for you. And so those of you that feel like you're in that storm, or in a storm, and maybe your storm isn't something that you've chosen, because there's things that we choose in our lives that prove to be incredibly difficult. And at the end of the day, we do need to have the honest and self-aware conversation with ourselves of, this is what I chose. I wanted to, to be married. I wanted to have kids. I wanted this particular career. I wanted to pursue this dream. And so you're pursuing these things. And it's hard. That's a storm. That's hard. 
And maybe there's those other ones that you're in a place that you didn't choose. You didn't choose to be these places. You're like the disciples. Where Jesus says, hey, this is where I want you to go. What's interesting for me, you know, living in Boise, and I, I share this pretty often, and I love the city of Boise. I love it a lot. You know, I, I really loved being here. Man, when we first talked about where we were going to move, because we're from Northern California originally, Boise was not on my list. Uh, I wanted to go and live in a, in a big urban context. I love the urban cities. And that wasn't where God sent me. When I was praying with my wife, feeling like God says, hey, no, actually, I want you to go out to Idaho. And my response was, there's no people in Idaho. There's just trees. <laughs> now there's a lot of people here. I was, he just sent me a little bit ahead of everybody. Uh, and I'm grateful. I'm thankful. And I'm glad I don't live in a major urban city. I'm glad I live where I live. And I, I've really, truly fallen in love with our community. But maybe you're, you're in a place that you've been, you've been sent to that you don't really want to be. And you feel God calling, to you and the calling you to it. And the road has been difficult. And you've been met with lots of difficulties and heartaches and so many more. And maybe it's, diff it's difficulty in your marriage or it's difficulty in your workplace or it's outside of your, it's outside of yourself. It's not something that you've chosen or done. And it can be a million things. It can be family. It can be work. It can be relational dynamics. It can be all kinds of different stuff. And the, the actual specifics of the storm are not what, are, what is important. What is important is you knowing that Jesus is coming to you, that Jesus sees you. That Jesus cares enough to pray for you. And that he desires to be with you. Because I think what's beautiful about this part of the story is that Jesus doesn't just come up to the boat and say, Hey, it's okay. It's me. And then walks back and goes like, I'm going to go finish my prayer time. But that Jesus gets in the boat with his disciples. And I just always, I would love to be like, just a fly on the boat, just listening to that conversation after he gets in the boat. What's going through these guys' minds? Because I don't think they just, like, he gets in the boat and everything calms down. They're just like, whoa. And then they're just dead silent until they get to the other side. But I think the beauty of this moment is that Jesus doesn't leave his followers completely abandoned. When he sends them into a place that's difficult and he calls them to do something that feels impossible. Because the reality is, and we talked about this last week, when Jesus calls you to do something, he's probably going to call you to do something impossible. Or what feels impossible. But he doesn't leave you alone in it. That he comes and gets in the boat with us. In our fear. In our challenge. In our doubt. In our greatest times of need. And so no matter what your, your storm is. Know that Jesus is coming to you. And that he will meet you. And so as we get ready to end and close this out, the storm's over. Jesus is in the boat with the 12, and they don't end up in Bethesda. 
they end up in Gennesaret. So they actually end up, so like Bethesda's on this side up at the top, and then Gennesaret's on this side. So the wind was so strong that it actually pushed them all the way to the other side of the lake. And they get out of the boat, and instantly people recognize Jesus, and everyone does what everyone does has done before. They bring their sick, they bring their paralyzed, they bring their possessed people to Jesus, and they bring, they beg him to heal them. They're lining the streets in the marketplace with all the sick, all the demon-possessed, those that have any sort of health issue, and they're asking Jesus to just simply let these people touch his cloak as he walks by. As he passes by these people, they find healing. Hundreds, possibly thousands of people were ministered to all because they were blown off course. And that's an important part of this for each of us to really hold on to. Maybe there are areas in your life that you things have not turned out the way you've imagined. You've been blown off course, so to speak. And you're looking around, looking at you know your life going, man, where am I? Or why am I here? You haven't found the love of your life yet, if that's what you're really wanting. Your career, your business is not taking off the way you wanted. You have had or had to make shifts in life. You've had to shift things around in your life because of certain circumstances. But the reality is in those parts where life has blown you off course, it's given you opportunity that you maybe wouldn't have had today. Our church's story has been one that's been really unique. In that the growth in our church has been really slow. But in all honesty, it's been really beautiful in that as well. Those that have been in leadership and that have, you know, kind of heard that and experienced that. The goals that we had for our church starting out versus the goals that we have for our church today are so far different. Because when I set out to plant, there was the desire to do all of the, the church planting things where it's like, all right, we got to hit this number, and then we do this, and then we do this, and then we do this. And it's a strategy. But feeling like Jesus spoke to me and saying, I don't want, need you to be building a, a, a business. I haven't moved you to Boise to build a business. I've moved you to Boise pastor of people the people that I bring to you and in our church's history we've had people that have come with tremendous church wounds and found healing we found people that have had really difficult parts in their stories and, and just having a community wrap around them and as they go and live life being able to be a community that is constantly pointing to the need for Jesus in each of our individual lives as we press on forward And the beauty of this is that what felt like delays, what felt like being off track, and what felt like being off course ended up becoming the things that shaped me into the man that I am today. A man that cares much more about the hearts of the people that are coming to our church than the money that comes into you know, the box in the back. Or that our children in the children's ministry grow up with a desire to follow Jesus rather than just trying to get kids into a room with volunteers and being able to make sure everything is staffed well. 
Because today I'm not the same man that I was when I set out to plant. God has used this, that season of rowing and rowing in the middle of the night with the wind at my face, feeling like I'm going backwards even though I'm trying to push forward. He's showing me constantly what it looks like to really pastor a people well. To be present with those that are right in front of me. And even to pastor the people that have come and the people that have gone. I do. I look back at people that have left our community for a variety of reasons. And I'm, I'm thankful for the season that I got to, to do life with them. And so, and it's the same with those of you in this room. Know that my hope and my desire for you is that you would know that you are loved, most importantly, by Jesus, but that you would know that myself and the leadership loves you deeply and desires for you to, to grow in your discipleship to Jesus. And so, I want to end with this last thing. If you're in a storm or you're about to head into a storm, May you hold on to those, those words and may you remember them and allow them to be locked into your soul. As you're rowing and as you're striving and as you're working, because sometimes that's what's required in life, know that Jesus sees you. Know that Jesus is praying for you. And know that Jesus is coming to you. All you have to do is be patient. And so, with that, let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this morning. I thank you that you don't leave us in the storm, but that you come and you meet us. And Lord, I do. I pray for some of us in this room, we probably need to, to have that moment where you pass by, that we remember and see who you are. And so, Jesus, I do, I lift up our church to you. I lift up the people that have chosen to be here this morning, and I pray that you would... Just bless each person and allow them to, to hear from you. If there's something that they're feeling like they need to respond to, Lord, if they need to, to talk with someone or to be prayed for, Lord, I pray that they would take the, the courage to, to go and ask for that. That they would seek myself out or one of the other leaders in our church and just or a friend, Lord, and just simply ask to be covered in prayer. And so... Lord, I pray that you would meet with each and every person here. I thank you for them. I pray you bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. And so as you go, may you go knowing that you are loved by God, and may you go in grace and in peace wherever your week takes you, and may you bring the name of Jesus wherever you go. So thanks so much for being here, everyone. We love you, and we appreciate you. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Oh, and also, I meant, sorry, I totally meant to say this. The table is open. I'm going to give an opportunity if anybody wants to come and take communion. One of the things we like to offer is to, for people to come and respond as they feel led. With this morning's message, I did feel like it would be a good one for people to kind of take it, stop personally, and just kind of allow themselves to, to have that moment with Jesus privately. So feel free to come to the table if you want to. And uh, go in peace, go in love. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching from Boise Community Church. To find more resources and information about Boise Community Church, 
or to give to the mission of Boise Community Church, please visit us online at boisecommunitychurch.org. If you were encouraged by today's podcast, please rate and review it so more people can discover the hope and joy of Jesus' love.